just want to welcome each one of you here. It's good to see each of you. I'm just going to run through the announcements, and um, if you have them nearby, you can have a look. So I'll just start in the announcements section. So February 11th, we have that it's a Kinet soup and pie, but also on February 11th, which is next Sunday, Kyla Weeb will be coming for the Sunday school portion of the service. So um, at 9.45, you can come and listen to Kyla Weeb um, share what she's doing um, in art and in sharing God's word through that. Um, and I think Russell said it's, it's for all ages. So and adults and kids, she's very engaging. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, February 9th to 11th and March 15th to 17th, uh, volunteers are needed for the Valley View Sledding Hill. Rumor is that they still do have snow there. So instead of talking to Dawson, you could talk to Russell or the new board member, Theo. Maybe Theo, do you mind just doing a little wave or a stand up so everyone knows we have a new board member for that. So thank you for standing up for that. And February 22nd is a Thursday, and there's Mums and Tots. And February 24th is a baby shower for Nicole Martins at the church. And I'm sure that Riley will enjoy the gifts as well. <laughs> um, and then there is a sign-up sheet at the back, but I actually have it here. Um, and this is for um, McGregor EMC Prayer Partners. Maybe you wonder what that is. Um, Diana did give a brief description. You can sign up. You put your name in and your birthday if you want. Oh, the year is optional. Um, and your contact info, how you would like to be contacted. But it's just having a partner in church uh, that, you that would be praying for you. Um, and that's kind of what you're signing up for is to pray for somebody else. So you can sign up. It is for all adults. You can be male or female to do this. So it will be on the back table. And this is the last week. Sunday, next Sunday will be the final day. If you are interested in membership class or would like to join a worship team, um, or if you're interested in baptism, please contact Russell. And I think those are all the announcements. Does anyone else have an announcement? All right, we're going to turn to Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I'll extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He has provided redemption for his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. God, we thank you that you are present for all the things that you have provided. We thank you. Um, help us to, to worship you in the ways that you call us to. Not only here, in, in listening to your word, in, uh, in taking it in, in singing different songs, but throughout the week as well. Just invite your presence. Amen. We'll get you to stand with us for two songs.
invite you to have a seat. And if you like to sing out of the hymn book, we will be singing <coughs> hymn number four, How Great Thou Art. God, you are the giver of all good things, and um, remind us of those things, and you've given us yourself. And um, in the gifts that we give back to you, I thank you that you give those to us to give you back, and um, <clears throat> for the time and money and just service to you, uh, take those things and use them to your honor and glory. Amen. I'll invite the worship team to go sit down, and I will give you opportunity to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> All right. 
Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28. I've read this. I am curious, Russell, what you are going to preach on. <laughs> Jesus drives out an impure spirit. They went to Capernaum where the Sabbath, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. All right. Before we get to our sermon, there are a couple items that we need to pray for this morning. And so, if you... And look at what they are there. The first one is Tyler Giesbrecht. He had his biopsy this past week. He's waiting for results. Have results come in? Uh, we're still waiting for results. Uh, if they come back and they are positive, that means that he can have his bone marrow transplant. So we've been praying for that, that it can bring this entire story of his struggle with cancer to an end. And so uh, we want to continue to pray that those biopsy results come back, they come back soon, and they come back exactly as they need to be. Uh, Bilal and Fatima, as we have prayed uh, before, she was uh, going to have a surgery now at the end of January. There is a tumor uh, that has developed in her abdomen, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the meeting that she went to with the doctor was a consultation because now... The surgery is going to be in May. And talking to Dan and Sandra about it, there is low-grade pain going on. And so we just want to continue to have her in our prayers, have the whole family in our prayers. This is unbelievably hard for them. And so we want to continue to pray for them. And we also have a prayer of just thanksgiving for wonderful things that have happened. And by that, what I mean is that Calvin and Sarah... Kilpatrick got married yesterday. And so we want to thank the Lord for that. We want to pray uh, a blessing on their marriage over the years to come. But that is wonderful news. And so please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our dear God, we come before you this morning first off in praise of you for the blessings that you bring. We want to pray particularly for Calvin and Sarah. We thank you so very much that they found each other. We thank you for that the marriage yesterday went well. And God, we pray a blessing on their marriage over the years to come. God, we pray that as they go into this new step of their life together, as they learn who each other are in these new ways that this time brings, God, be there with them. Strengthen their marriage over the years to come. And no matter what the situation, always show that you are pointing back to yourself, God. We pray for Calvin and Sarah, but thank you so much as well. Lord, we put them before you. And we look forward to learning about who they will become together. God, we also want to pray for the things that are going not as we would like. God, we want to pray for Tyler Giesbrecht. God, his struggle with cancer has been going on for so very long now. And it is hard. God, we pray that this biopsy result will be good. We pray that it will come back exactly as it needs to so that he can have that bone marrow transplant and that that will take exactly as it needs to that the cancer will clear up. That it'll be nothing more than going in for screenings year after year with good news. God, we put that before you. 
Lord, we look forward to hearing the results, and we've just put it in your hands. And God, we also want to pray for Bilal and Fatima. God, that is very disappointing that the, that the surgery is now going to be in May. And so, God, we pray, be with her. God, we pray, address the pain so that it is something she can deal with without issue. God, we pray that in this time, in the in-between, all of the different things that need to happen in order to make sure that this surgery goes well, happen. Lord, we pray that when the surgery comes, that removing that tumor is going to be absolutely nothing but a regular day for the surgeon. And we pray that there will not be any extra damage. God, we pray that there will not be any lasting repercussions. God, we pray that come the end of May, this will be nothing but a bad memory. God, we put them before you. They are in our prayers. And we pray that no matter what happens, everything points to you. Lord, we bring these things before you this morning. And we put them at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Ah, if there's any other kids still out, then feel free to find yourself into the back for children's church. But we are once again in the season of Epiphany. This is the second last Sunday in the season. Next one will be the last. And Charlene is absolutely right. This is a very interesting passage. <laughs> But it is a passage that has an awful lot to tell us about what it means to be the church in the season of Epiphany, the season where we praise God that he came for all people and not just his chosen, not just us. It is a passage that has an awful lot to tell us about what it means to share the love of God to our neighbors as well as what it doesn't mean. And so, Mark 1, 21 to 28. Mark 1, verses 21 to 28, if you have your Bibles on you. And then we'll turn there. If you've ever wondered what an old synagogue looks like, then, yeah, let's see. I can't see my laser pointer. That is not the synagogue that Jesus preached in. <laughs> but it is on top of it. Capernaum, as best as the archaeologists could tell, doesn't have terribly many synagogues on it. And uh, this is the built-up, restored ruins of a synagogue that was there that dates to about the 4th century. Uh, but they were doing some testing on the ground, and wouldn't you know it, there's another synagogue right underneath it. And that is probably the one that Jesus preached in. And it probably looks something like this. If you see where that group of people right here are, that is most likely where the reader would have read when you're picturing this story in your mind. That is probably where Jesus was. And then on either side, there is seats that would be here. And that's where the galley is. That's where everybody that was there listening to him would have been. So I just figured that was neat. So I'd throw that up there so you have a bit of a picture in your mind. But Mark 1, 28, 21 to 28 begins like this. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Yeah, right there. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. That might sound like a bit of a weird thing to say. After all, uh, these are the teachers of the law. These are the people that got across all of the, what it is that the scripture said. So surely they are the ones that are also teaching with authority. So how is it what Jesus is doing here is all that much different? And that's when it's useful to remember that this passage is part of a run that tells the story of Jesus coming into his ministry. And it's useful to remember particularly what we talked about last week when we looked at the baptism of Jesus. 
Because when Jesus was baptized, what is it that happened when he came on out of that water? The Holy Spirit descending upon him and God saying, you are my son with whom I am well pleased, right? Jesus speaks as one with authority. Jesus teaches as one with authority. Jesus teaches as if the Spirit was moving and working through him because the Spirit was moving and working through him. When the other teachers of the law would teach, they would teach in such a way that this is what the scriptures say, and this rabbi would say that, and that rabbi would say that, and there's this back and forth like that. But when Jesus teaches, you have heard it said this, but I tell you, this is what the Lord says. When he speaks with authority, he speaks as if he is being led by God because he is. If you're wondering what teaching with authority is, then that is what we are picturing as we go on. He is somebody that is teaching with the authority of God. And we can see that play out as we go down in the passage as well. Because we read, And just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, he cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. Now, I don't want to get too much into all of things with what demons are, what demons aren't, or anything like that. But what I will say is that in the first century, the assumption is, is that everything that is bad, anything that is not good, everything that we cannot explain, it's because there is spirits doing something. There is impure spirits and anything that is so sinful that it is hurtful, anything that is so sinful that it tears apart. And, I mean, apart from that, they would also say that there's spirits on this, that, and the everything. The first century is a period of time where everything is mystical in a way that we just don't think of it today. Is that the same as saying that they were wrong and we are right? It is not weighing in on that one way or the other. All it is saying is that is how they saw the world. And that you have to keep that in mind when you read this. Because in many ways, when we talk about, it's like how they talk about spirits is not terribly different than how we talk about sin being in us. Right? When we talk about sin being in us, it is something that so becomes you if you do not fight it, if you do not repel it, right? It will take over you to the point that it speaks on your behalf. In the same way as there is this impure spirit in this man, it is so taken over him to the point that it talks on his behalf. Again, this isn't saying there aren't demons today. Many people here even have stories of it, but instead saying that this is how we need to think of it. That when there is the spirit in it is because this is a world where there is sin shot through everything. And so this is how we think of the spirits at that time. It is if it's sin is embodied. For many of us, we think of that the same way today. But that is what we think of when we think of this. And when the spirit cries out, it is like... If we were going to give a name to the spirit one way or the other, I was joking before in Sunday school that we were almost going to call it narcissism because there the spirit is in the group. And at no point does Jesus even pay any amount of lip service to this spirit. And the spirit is just like, why, what do you want with us? That's the only reason you are here, isn't it, Jesus? You have come to destroy us. That's why you are here, isn't it? You are the Holy One of God. The Spirit is straight out testifying that this is Jesus. But then, right mid-testimony, Jesus decides that, no, he's not actually going to be listening to this. And he cuts him off right there. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him and cast the Spirit out. And the impure spirit, it shakes and the man shakes violently and it comes out of him with 
a shriek, even though this demon is testifying that this is who Jesus Christ is. That doesn't matter. Jesus cuts him out. After all, there is no place for a spirit for the impure in the presence of the Holy One of God. And then the passage comes to its end. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with such authority, He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Notice there that it isn't just because Jesus preaches with all authority that they are in awe of him. It's also because of what he does. He's living it out, right? It isn't just that in him you see somebody who preaches with the authority of the Spirit in him, but also because he lives that authority out. He can command the spirits and they leave, that they are taken aback. And because of that, the news of who this Jesus Christ is spreads throughout all of Galilee. And if you remember last Week We talked a little bit about Galilee and kind of the type of place it is. We won't get into that again, but that that is where this spread. That is where this had to spread. The word of Jesus and his ministry begins. The word of the Lord. All right. This passage has a number of things to say to us as we are in the season of Epiphany. I mentioned that before. It has a number of things to say to us as we are in the time where we thank God that he has come to reach out to all people. And we're going to focus just on two of them, and they are both things that have quite a bit to say to us in the, in the church today, have quite a bit to say to us as Christians today. The first of them is going to be Uh, the more obvious of the two of them, and that is, you've heard it said it's not good enough to talk the talk. You need to walk the walk too, right? This is something that comes up all throughout the New Testament. It comes up all throughout the Old Testament as well. If you are somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, if you are somebody that believes in that gospel message that he is the son of God who has come, who has died for your sins, that you just need to believe that he is the son of God and follow him. If you are somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, it isn't good enough just to proclaim that from the top of buildings, from your soapbox. You need to actually live as if your life has been changed by that as well. That is something that will come up again and again and again as we go through the book of Mark. And it's something that gets its start right here at the bottom of our passage today in those last couple verses. Jesus is one who preaches with all authority, and that gets the people very excited. But he's also the one that lives that authority out. He's also the one that casts out the demons. He preaches with all authority. He talks the talk, but he also casts the demons out. He walks the walk as well. And that, once we have been told both of those things, then we are told that the word of who Jesus Christ is spread throughout all of Galilee. Those are two things that go hand in hand. Those are two things that we know should go hand in hand, but at the same time, Those are also two things that, with everything we are, we often want to separate them from going hand in hand because, boy, is it awfully a lot easier to just talk that talk instead of also walking the walk. Because Jesus asks an awful lot of us. But from this passage, we already begin to see that in order to follow Christ, in order to follow his example, those two things have to go together. That is one thing that we are picking out, and the implications of it, we're going to get just a little bit. But the other one, the other one, I think, is the even more interesting to me. The other one is, 
And maybe this is just me. When I was reading this passage through earlier this week, a part of me got very interested at a very dumb question. And that is that this evil spirit is testifying that this is Jesus, right? Imagine that you are there in that room at that time, right? And you hear this evil spirit call out, and this demon is like, this is Jesus Christ. I am terrified of him. He is the chosen of God. The practical side of me, the pragmatic side of me, can't help but think that that would be a very efficient way of making sure that people came to know the Lord, right? And Jesus doesn't think like that. Jesus cuts him off mid-sentence, but wouldn't it have been more a practical thing instead of casting that demon out, maybe taking this man on the road with you? As you're going all throughout Galilee, you could bring him all along, and this demon that everybody recognized, this supernatural being, can say, this is Jesus Christ? You'd almost think that that would be the best way that you could ever convince all of Galilee that this is the Son of God. Having somebody in the know yelling that out as if possessed because he was. But again, Jesus doesn't really do that, does he? Jesus cuts him off mid-sentence. Jesus says, be quiet. Exclamation mark right there. Be quiet. Come out of him. Surely it would have been an easier thing to do to convince people that this is the Son of God if the demon that is proclaiming this is the Son of God would have come along. But Jesus was having none of that. And so I wondered, why is that? Well, the answer is actually fairly simple. The answer is actually something that you all know off the tops of your head. Well, because it was a demon, right? Like, obviously, you're going to cast out demons. That's what you do, right? That is the answer. And this is where we remember that demons and sin are so tied together that you can't really think of them as apart from one another, right? Because think about what that actually would imply if Jesus would have let this demon come on and continue on talking. It would have been the same as saying that this, this demon is testifying about who the Lord is. It would be the same as saying that this sin embodied is testifying about who the Lord is. And the thing is, is that, oh yeah, sorry I didn't put that up before. And the thing is, is that like that is just not what sin is. We've talked a number of times before about what sin is. We've talked about a number of times before about how what sin is, is all of the ways that we are held separate from God, right? All the ways that things are short. They're all the ways that the relationships between us and other people are torn apart. All the ways that our relationship with creation is torn apart. Jesus would have left that demon to continue to testify that this is the Lord, undoubtedly the demon would have kept on testifying that this is the Lord, but it would have been sin embodied saying that this is the Lord. And that might not sound like such a bad thing, but at the same time, if sin by its nature points anywhere but God, how can sin ever point to who the true God is? And there's an awful lot to unpack with just what that means. Sure, the demon might have been testifying that this is Jesus Christ, but we get a picture here of what the demon thinks Jesus Christ is all about. This demon thinks that Jesus is somebody that exists purely to try to force him out, right? This demon thinks Jesus is something that exists purely just to destroy him. This demon thinks of Jesus purely as the enemy. That is the Jesus that this demon is testifying about. And so when this demon testifies, when sin testifies, very likely it is the name of Jesus that it is calling out, but the picture of who that Jesus is is about as far from who Jesus is as we know that you could possibly get. 
And from there, I think we're good to talk about what this passage has to say to us in the church today. All right. As Christians, we believe that the Lord is good, right? I don't think that is too consequential of a thing to say. I think we can all agree that that is true. As Christians, we believe that the Lord is great. The Lord loves us and all the other wonderful things that are revealed in Jesus Christ through Scripture. As Christians, we also believe that the alternative to loving the Lord is not great, don't we? I mean, we all shudder with thoughts of what hell is. And that right there, that right there creates a bit of a temptation, a bit of a terrible temptation when it comes to sharing who our God is with other people. It kind of creates the temptation that we should do whatever it takes to get people to believe in Jesus. And that might sound fine, but what that means is that it may not be the worst thing in the world if we just tell a couple fibs, a couple white lies, if we think that that will get people to believe who Jesus is. Maybe it means that it may not be the worst thing if we instead say, overemphasize or underemphasize parts of our faith that we think are palatable or unpalatable, if it means that this is going to be what gets people to know our Lord, might lead us to say, maybe we should just make up or syncretize or bring in things that have nothing to do with our faith if it means that people will come and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That temptation is there. And to say that it isn't is to give a lot of power to something that is truly dangerous. And if you're thinking that this isn't something that we do in the church, let me share with you a Russell story. It's been a while since I've shared with you a Russell story. This one takes place when I was at camp. I think I was either 10 or 11 at the time. And at that point in time, the camp is not terribly different than now. There is that big, strong emphasis that what you absolutely wanted to do was win as many converts or as many recommitments as you can. I remember at nighttime devotions. We'd always have devotions right before we went to sleep. Nighttime devotions, my counselor told me a story. And how that story went is that in Russia, did you know this? In Russia, there is a borehole that is the deepest in the world, goes down farther than has ever gone, miles and miles and miles. And the scientists that dug this thing, they got very interested. They were wondering what was at the bottom of that borehole. And so they decided that they were going to lower a microphone into it so that they could hear whatever was at the bottom of that. Now, you see, if I knew as much about sound equipment then as I do now, red flag, right? You're never going to lower an XLR cable that far. It would, all the interference, it wouldn't work. And this is the 70s when this happened, so reel to reel, I don't think you're going to fit it into a hole that big. So a couple of things right there, or maybe, maybe this isn't quite right. But as the story went, when they played back the recording, there were the screams of hell itself crying out to God, forgive us, crying out to God, ease our pain. And I will tell you, at the end of that night, I didn't sleep very much. At the end of that week, I didn't sleep very much. And at the end of that month and for the couple years after that, I was also living in a certain amount of terror. Now, that story is not true. I mean, apart from the fact that the deepest borehole in the world is in Russia, nothing else about that is true. And 
There's a number of reasons that we would even think that it isn't true. For starters, if the literal mouth of hell is underneath the country that you think of as the bad guys, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a red flag. Probably that isn't true then. But it doesn't change the fact that that story right there, even though it is patently untrue, it certainly got its recommitment. And it also got a couple converts out of all of the people in my cabin as well. And what I will also tell you is that I've kept somewhat in touch with all of the people that were in my cabin that year. Facebook is wonderful like that. And only a handful of them, I would say, are still Christians, and the rest of them left because God is terrifying if that is who you think God is. When it comes to sharing our faith, that temptation is there because the Lord is so good, the alternative is not. And so, what's wrong with telling a couple white lies if it gets people in the boat, right? What's wrong with cracking a couple ribs if you get them out of that? But think about what you are doing if you do that. What you are doing is straight up using sin to point the way to God. What you were doing is straight up saying that this sinful picture of how things are is how things actually are. It might feel like by doing that we can point people to the Lord, but sin by its nature doesn't. If you are using sin to paint a picture of who God is, you are painting a picture of who God is. That is true. But that picture is not of the God we find in Scripture. That picture is not of the Jesus Christ who is in our hearts. That picture is not of the Lord. We might want to think that using sin to point the way to God is an important thing because it gets people in the boat. But in the end, in the end, in the end it just terrifies a bunch of children. Why do we want to be known as the people that do that? And what's more is it kind of belies a certain amount of not trusting the Spirit, doesn't it? The Spirit is at work through us. The Spirit, just as it is worked work through Jesus Christ, letting him teach with all authority. We see at Pentecost that the Spirit has come upon us. And the Spirit working through us is teaching and reaching out. And the Spirit has been at this for a long time. The Holy Spirit knows how to pave the way. The Holy Spirit knows how to win people to the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't need us to lie on his behalf in order to win people to God. All that is is us saying that we know how to do the Spirit's job better than the Spirit does. And that is obviously wrong. And yet that temptation is there. And yet that temptation to speak as if there is a demon in us is there. What the Spirit calls us to instead is what we saw in our passage today. Preach as if with all authority. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to get up here every Sunday. We all have our mission field amongst our friends, amongst the things that God calls us to do to build his kingdom. And as we preach, also act out as if we truly believe what it is that we are saying. Those things go hand in hand after all. Preach and act in the same way, in a way that is consistent. 
Because the world knows when you act in a way that isn't consistent. And that isn't me being overly alarmist or anything like that. I mean, how many people know somebody that said something along the lines of this New Year's, I am going to make absolutely sure that I lose all of the weight, and then the next time you see them is at McDonald's eating five breakfast sandwiches. That sounds specific because I have done that. They are delicious, and they are one of my kryptonites. Sausage, egg, McMuffin. Mm. But when I did that, I can tell you for a fact, my friend that saw me do that was shaking his head. And definitely brings it up from time to time afterward. The world notices when the way that we say we believe, the way that we say we live, the way that we say is important, is in line with the way that we actually act. It notices it because we are social animals. That's how the term goes, right? We, by nature, we are friends with each other. We, we know, and it can, if things are in line, then it's great. And that's like, oh, what do you have going on? And when they aren't, well, then you just kind of shake your head. That is how we are called to instead spread that gospel message. To both proclaim it with authority as Christ did, as we can, because the Spirit is in us. But then to go one step farther and live it out too. With that, right there, with not just proclaiming the coming kingdom, but also building it. That is how the word of God spread throughout all of Galilee. That is how the word of God has spread throughout the rest of the world in the rest of the Bible that goes on and throughout church history. And that, that is going to be how the kingdom is built going forward as well. Because that is what the Spirit calls us to. So that, not making up things, that is how people will come to know who our God is. So I leave you with this. Does how you act match what you preach? That is a question that takes a lot of deep introspection. That is a question that takes a lot of going through your life, wondering do these two things actually line up? If I say I believe in a God who loves, do I love my neighbor, right? And if it doesn't, well, then you know what it is that you get to change. And when you do, well, then you get to know truly what it is like to preach with all authority and to see the outcome of that. Amen. Precious in his own.
For our benediction, we turn to 1 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And my love is with you all in Jesus Christ. Go now and serve our wonderful God.